Hey everyone, it's Simi Shaw, and welcome to Trailblazers. On this podcast, I dive deep into the journeys of trailblazing South Asians, sharing the stories of the leaders and dreamers lighting the way across the South Asian diaspora. Before we get to today's episode, a message from the Desi Crime Podcast. We've all seen and heard a thousand renditions of the same American crime stories. O.J. Simpson, Ted Bundy, the Zodiac Killer, you name it. And if you're anything like me, you're obsessed, but overdue for something fresh, like the Desi Crime Podcast. In their episodes, hosts Aishwarya and Aryan cover the wildest of mysteries. I'm talking royal family massacres to cold cases like the death of Sri Devi. If you're up for a South Asian spin on true crime, be sure to check out the Desi Crime Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. Now, on to our very own episode. Today, I am so excited to welcome our first ever trailblazer in fitness, Aditi Shah, instructor at Peloton. Aditi joined the company in 2018, having been recruited to help launch Peloton's yoga and meditation practice. She first discovered her love of yoga while living in Mumbai after graduating from Rutgers University, where she studied math. While in India, she pursued modeling, appearing in campaigns for Garnier, Revlon, and Bare Minerals. A few years later, she moved to New York, where she pursued a career in acting with the Stella Adler Acting Studio, making appearances on hit shows like Elementary and Inside Amy Schumer. In recent years, she's spent time as an entrepreneur and founder and as a digital marketing consultant for brands like health tech company Parsley Health. Today, she is one of Peloton's famed instructors and recently was named a global brand ambassador for Puma. I am so excited to welcome Aditi. Thank you for being with me here today. Thank you so much. Wow, you really did your research. (laughs) I have to. So I actually want to start with what seemed to have been a very recent and special moment in your life and career. Your mom came to visit you here in New York, all the way from India, and you got to show her around Peloton's New York studios to give her a sense of your work. And from what I remember, it was your parents who first introduced you to yoga as a child. Can you speak a little bit to this full circle moment, having your mom see this part of your life? Absolutely. So I actually haven't seen my parents for a minute because of COVID. My parents live in Bangalore. And growing up, it wasn't like a big part of our lives. It wasn't like my parents were regular practitioners, but we did once in a while have someone come to our home and do a yoga practice, which is really, really different from a lot of the practices that we see now. But it was just something that I sort of knew existed because of that. And also I think when we think about from an Eastern perspective, what yoga is, it's more than fitness. And of course there's this physical aspect to it, but I think that's the part that I sort of came into yoga with is sort of understanding that there was more to it, having a really clear context of these Eastern philosophical ideas without necessarily knowing how they link to yoga, but just sort of having more of an idea that this was maybe a healing methodology if you think about Iyengar, or maybe could be really spiritual, depending on obviously the context that there were other ways of thinking about yoga beyond just a movement practice. So I think that's something that I was sort of gifted just by product of my parents being my parents. 
My mom actually, the last time she visited was when I was at the original Peloton Yoga and Tread studio, which was on Christopher Street. It was a gym that got converted into the studio. It was much, much smaller. And so I think when she came this time, she was just really blown away by the size of it and really getting to see how much Peloton has evolved. I think to her, I'm always going to be her daughter. (laughs) But So yeah, there's some evolution. But I think for her, it was like, so like, wow, this is so different. It's like beautiful and big. And she got to really go behind the scenes in a way that she didn't before. So she took my class. Oh, wow. A long time ago when she went to the Christopher Street studio. Both my parents practice yoga now. They like actually teach yoga sometimes too. But this time she got to go into the control room behind the scenes and really see how the classes are cut live. She got to see all of the cameras. And I think for her, that was like such a cool experience. It was so special to share that with her. No, it definitely sounds like it. And, you know, you've spoken extensively about how you had this exposure to yoga at a young age, as you just said, but you didn't establish that deeper connection until you moved to Mumbai after college. Why the move and what sparked that deeper connection? When I was growing up, I just don't think that I was able to connect with literally the practice itself because what was happening was slower movements, breath work. I was taught meditation or a specific (laughs) kind of meditation that really didn't work for me because I was very much high energy. I mean, I'm still high energy, but (laughs) high energy, tomboy, outdoors kind of a person. And I just didn't, I just wasn't that interesting to me. I studied math and I was going to sort of follow in family footsteps, get a job in finance. I realized that growing up, I was really creative. I grew up singing, playing the violin, acting. I was really interested in sort of just having a more creative life, but I didn't feel like that was available to me as I think many of us have experienced that representation. This is why representation is so important. And of course, my parents were mostly interested in me being happy and being able to take care of myself. Therefore, I pursued this career. And I realized after graduating that this isn't something, you know, I got a job and I was like, I do not want to do this. I did all the things I had an intern, you know, in the internship job. I was like, I don't really want to do this. I don't want to be unhappy. And I think in that moment, first of all, my parents had moved back to India. So they retired and moved back to India right before I began college. And we're Rajasthani, but they decided to live in Bangalore. And I didn't have a home in the US anymore. So that's part of why I went to India. I just went there to reset. And I definitely felt totally just a little bit like I failed because like, I was like, what will I do? And a lot more just panicky about what direction should I take my life? And I really strongly believe two things now in retrospect. And one is that, you know, you can reinvent yourself as many times as you want. I feel sometimes we make a plan for ourselves and then we forget that we've made that plan so we can change it. And also, I I really strongly feel that failure, even if it's not really failure, but failure is there to point you in a different direction. Not everything is for everyone. And obviously, looking back, I'm happy I was able to take this cue of this might not be the right thing for me to be doing. I would like to, to feel good about what I'm doing. And so when I went to India, I ended up getting encouraged by my mom to do two things. So I'll go back to your original question because I've gotten off topic. But I had gotten interested in yoga before that in college, but that's where I started practicing a lot because I did not have anything Mm. to do and (laughs) practicing made me feel better. Quite honestly, I, I hadn't delved deep enough to 
really get into anything, but it just made me feel better. So I did it. And I was in a place of anxiety. And so I did that. And my mom at the time was like, Hey, why don't you, uh, think about maybe opening a yoga studio or something? And I was like, absolutely not. I (laughs) am interested just in practicing for myself. I don't think that this is a career for me. But then she also encouraged me since I had had a creative life for so long, like, okay, well, maybe that's something you might want to do. And so that's how I ended up, you know, modeling and acting was I was really interested in acting. And up until basically Peloton, I was doing some amount of that. So that's how that transition happened. Wow. And I want to press on that for a second, because I do think a lot of people have that realization post-grad. I definitely did. I leapt into a job that was not for me, but it took me some months to get to the point of, okay, I need to leave this. How did you find the courage to make that decision even before you took that leap? I feel a little bit like I didn't have a choice. (laughs) I'm one of those people who like, I'm a horrible liar. Like you can see all of my emotions written on my face. And it's sort of like that. Like, I think it would be very difficult for me to committedly do something that I really didn't want to do. I could do it and I would need another reason to do it, right? I need like a real reason that came from me to want to do it. If I'm going to show up to something, I want to show up with my whole self. And at some point there's a cognitive dissonance that just gets in the way. And I did spend my entire college career pursuing it. So it wasn't (laughs) like a, you know, I did really, I was pretty committed. And then I was a little bit like, wait, this is my life. And I think we do often get into these places that I I recently talked to someone who was like, okay, the next job I take is going to set me up for the rest of my life. You know, it's harder to change career paths after this. And I, I think, you know, one, we're living a lot longer and a lot healthier. And also I love seeing people who are living out their dreams at older. It's not even like, it's like not even that much older, but you know, at older ages, like I really think that's this, it's just untrue, but that's somewhat what we're conditioned to believe. So I think that's a big part of it as I was like, Oh, whatever I do, I'm now going to have to do that's me. That's going to define me. And I didn't want that to be it. I think it goes to the whole culture around being a multi-hyphenate these days, which I love a ton because I think especially for our parents' generation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was this attitude with our parents' generation of like, you pick a career, you go down that track, and that's what you do for the rest of your life. Yes, and that's also, I feel like, why they've stayed at the same companies for so long in a way that nobody necessarily Our tenure is like two to five years these days. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So I want to spend some time on the creative passions you chose to pursue between modeling, acting. Can you talk a little bit about these experiences? I was a really shy kid, but I always found freedom in front of the camera. And I'll speak more about acting. I think modeling is something I really enjoy, but also something that I did thinking it would help me get into acting, if that makes sense, and was an opportunity that was kind of landed in my lap, to be honest. I like modeling because it's fun and you can tell a story, but I think that's the aspect of it that really gets magnified on camera as an actor. When I think about what my job is now, and I think about meditation, I think there's such a link there that the truth is so much of life is about storytelling. And it's about the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that we believe. And whether or not we can look at these stories and recognize that we're telling them, we can look at whether they're true or not. And that is fascinating. It's fascinating and it's freeing. And I think at the end of the day, when we can play with and recognize this, that allows us to really tune into a shared humanity. Like that's a big part of what it is to be human, right? Is we go through these ways of experiences and how we relate to them is sort of what I'm talking about when I say storytelling. Yeah. And so I think 
that's why I really love being in front of a camera. And that's also why I love doing what I'm doing now. Makes sense. So there comes a time around 2015 where your interest in yoga starts to take more shape and you found a company called the Yoga Department. Was this simultaneous with these other pursuits? I mean, what inspired this entrepreneurial endeavor? Yes. First of all, I wasn't alone in it, which is helpful. I also sort of fell into teaching. I mean, I made a decision, of course, but it wasn't something I I knew I would want to do. I just, in learning, ended up practicing teaching and liked it and got a job. And once I started teaching, really what I wanted to do was share my experiences and all the learnings and benefits and really this magical practice with other people. And even though Mumbai is such a crazy city, I felt so much like in New York, people are so, so work oriented in a way that's generally stressful. I think we can say, um, (laughs) fairly say. Yes. And that's where that came from. I was like, wow, like I would like to serve people who really need it. And so a friend of mine and I, we just, we started taking on corporate clients and that's basically what that was. I learned so much from it. I learned a lot from that, both about teaching and people and also obviously about building a company. You hear about people teaching 20 classes a week. That was never me. I was always teaching five classes a week because I wanted to make sure that I never felt that yoga was a job. Yeah. I wanted to maintain my own practice. I wanted to maintain my love for it. And that's why I had all these other things that I was doing as well. Having even like a part-time side gig made it so that I could pay my rent and not ever feel like I had to go teach a class. I was teaching a class because I wanted to teach a class. So that's a lot of where the instinct to do a lot of other things came from. Yeah. I really love that sentiment because a lot of the conversation that happens now when people have side hustles, even for me with my podcast, the instinctive question is, how are you going to monetize this? And some of the conversations I've had with people is the minute you put that sort of pressure on someone, it takes all the joy and fun out of it. So it's super interesting that you sort of found that balance to keep yoga something that you loved and did for yourself. Yeah, it wasn't the easiest thing to do, (laughs) but yeah. So post yoga department, you pivot to working at some of these companies, brands specifically as a digital marketing consultant. At one point, were you working in this field and realized you actually wanted to make a career as an instructor? I don't think I ever decided I needed to make a career as an instructor. The jobs that I had were really just other opportunities to sort of, let's say, pay my rent and continue to do what I was doing. It's so funny because I went to a conference, I think the same year that Peloton reached out to me, so 2018. And my friend asked me, you know, what are you hoping to get out of this weekend? It was a mind body reading. They have like a wellness conference every year. And I was like, I think I'm at a point I've been teaching. I've been running teacher trainings. I did these meditation pop-ups with a friend. Because again, I was like excited about meditation and building community. And I was like, I think what I really need is I want a bigger platform. I just want to be able to reach more people, build like a bigger community, have more outside of this, you know, studio that I, I love, obviously my studio, but at the same time, I think there's more out there and I'm excited about that. And I didn't really know what the steps were going to be to get there, but that's probably part of the desire to sort of change my life a little bit. I wasn't all in on being an instructor. It wasn't necessarily my goal, but Peloton is a really full-time job. And also it seemed like such a dream job in the sense of, I still am not teaching 20 classes a week. (laughs) Yeah. 
I'm curious, it seems like the huge turning point was in 2017 when you led this epic yoga class in Times Square with over 2,000 people in attendance. Is it right for me to assume that? I don't know if that was a turning point, (laughs) although I can see why you would say that. I did, I think it was sort of a place in which I started to recognize that I might want to think a little bit bigger. Okay. There are all of these people that are interested in yoga and how do we reach them and how do we create community around that? I love my students. I love my teacher training students. I love my students that came to my classes, but I was just really interested in what else is out there. And for sure, that was a really amazing experience for me. I felt so connected to so many strangers. It stuck with me. Yeah. It's no secret that there are obviously thousands of instructors and teachers out there. What do you think it is that has set you apart? That's a tough question to answer. (laughs) I'm not really sure because I think a lot of people have the same qualities that I do, but I'll share some of the ones that I feel have been helpful to me. I think one of the things that's such a tenant of yoga culture in general, or at least I hope it is for me, it is. And I think for a lot of people, it is, is that it's a constant learning process. It's not a 200 hour program. It's probably not this lifetime. It's going to be like a lot to learn. And I think that that is a really important part of what makes you able to stay open-minded and evolve and keep learning and keep growing. Honestly, I feel what is life if you're not growing and learning anyway, right? That's like the juicy part of life. The way that I think we often feel about yoga is as teachers, right? I think teachers go into a room and they're like, this isn't about me. I'm here. And this was so helpful to me when I began because I was not used to being in front of a room of people. It was like, this is not about me. I'm the vessel through which I'm teaching something. I'm sharing this information, but it's not about me. And some part of that is true, but the other part of it that's true is that you're sharing your experience. It's going through your lens at the end of the day. And so how can you A, broaden that experience and B, be an extremely clear communicator that not only communicates your experience, but in a way that can be welcoming to others, in a way that can be really democratizing the practice, that can be really not leaving anyone out, right? So I think that's sort of like something else that has really helped me. Last but not least... Every field is competitive in its own way. Yeah. And I'm a really big believer in supporting other people. I think there's space for everyone. I really believe in like, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships and it's hard. And I understand it's really difficult when you're starting, when things are tough, it can be really difficult, but I feel that that it's helped me beyond just like, okay, I've made friends. It's helped me in a way that has allowed me to you know, stay open-hearted about this practice and stay open-hearted about my career and stay open-hearted about the future and and everybody that I meet. It's been very helpful in the sense of me being able to feel good about what I do, which is, I think, essential. (laughs) Yeah. No, it takes me back to this point of we're stronger together, right? There is room for all of us. And together we have the ability to grow the pie versus people feeling like someone else is taking a piece of yours. Super interesting. I want to obviously talk about your journey to Peloton. Can you speak a little bit about how you got recruited to lead their yoga and meditation practice and how that all came to be? Sure. Peloton slid into my DMs. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So Dennis Morton is a cycling instructor who is also a yoga teacher. And he was, of course, the first person that was sort of involved in trying to find teachers to create a yoga program. And I think Robin had reached out to Kristen already because they knew each other from 
their pasts. And our producer at that time reached out to Anna because she did a training with her. Her producer did a training with Anna. I believe after that, they reached out to a lot of people for auditions because I think some of my friends also auditioned. But basically, I got a DM sharing that Peloton was looking to begin exploring yoga. Could I sign an NDA? (laughs) And then, you know, audition. And so I auditioned. I did two classes. It's so funny because I had been reached out to by other platforms. I sort of came to the conclusion that maybe it wasn't worth it for a lot of different reasons. I'm really of the opinion that And this is, I think, something that's helpful from my background. When you have a modeling contract, you get paid for a certain amount of usage. And then if they want to continue to use your photo, video, whatever, they have to pay you again, right? If you're an actor, you get residuals. And I thought it was unfair. So like contracts that I saw where it was like, okay, we're going to give you your class rate for this class that you're going to film, but then we own forever. And I was sort of like, well, that doesn't seem right to me. So I never really entertained the idea of this digital platform because... What I had seen, I was not really interested in. I remember Peloton because I knew how much people loved the bike. And I remember what I wore. I remember walking to, like, I I walked to the studio. I remember a little bit of my playlist. And I also was really comfortable in front of the camera because I had spent, obviously, so many auditions. I was, like, happy just talking to the camera and doing my thing. And then afterwards... It took pretty much the whole summer. We did like a series of interviews before I got an offer. And then I was on board and spent a few months with Anna and Kristen and the production team. You know, at first I feel like it's like anything else. You're figuring it out. So we did a lot of experimenting. Like what would it be like to adjust somebody in a class? Is that possible on camera? So we tried out a lot of different things before we came up with sort of some basic ideas of where to begin this program. I was also the first meditation teacher because I I was really pro-meditation. I talk about that a lot in my interviews. And I was in the midst of a really exciting training as well. I did this like two-year meditation training. That was like what I was looking for in my future. And so I wanted to obviously include that. Yeah. And that was also really same thing, you know, really figuring out how do we present this? Because it's just so different. If you're starting in a place or people already have the context of the, these different kinds of meditation, these different kinds of practices. And they're picking, oh, we, I want to do this practice. That's very different from people that have maybe only no spent context. time on the bike or aren't yeah. really sure. So how do, you, how do you make it accessible in a way that's like both true to what it's supposed to be, but also really accessible to anybody? Yeah. So we spent a lot of time trying to you know, work on that. Yeah. What are the things that you found worked versus didn't? I think when I taught before at a studio, I was teaching mostly New York yoga. You know what I mean? (laughs) If I was teaching beginner classes, it was different, but there was a certain level that I was expecting people to come to my class with, like a certain level of knowledge. Like I was expecting them to know a certain amount and that's sort of something I had to let go of, right? (laughs) I don't know what they know. (laughs) So here's an opportunity for me to really decide what does it mean to be a beginner? What does it mean to be intermediate? What does it mean to be advanced? Because those are only, that's, those are big chunks of people, right? There's a lot of space within beginner. There's a lot of space between intermediate for sure. So that's the kind of thing I had to play around with and had to let go of the way that I was doing things. Really, I think what I realized the most about Peloton is that the community is so incredible But for a change, it is a little bit about you. Before it was like, oh, it's not about me. I'm just teaching. 
But yeah. here it is a little bit about you. It's not about you in the sense that like, hey, look at me, but it's about you in the sense of like, it's about the way that you communicate the words that you yeah. choose, like what you think is funny, <laughs> if you're willing to fall over on camera or not, you know, that kind of a thing. That is a part of what you're bringing to this platform because it is really community oriented and they do care about who the instructors are. Yeah. So that's something that works was like, okay, yeah, be your authentic self, be yourself. Yeah. And it took me a minute. I think when I started, I, I'm sure people thought I was a little mysterious. <laughs> it was really that I was so used to really having this boundary of like, I'm just here to like share this practice as opposed to like, I'm doing this with you. We're here together and I'm going to be myself. So that's something yeah. that I think that worked. Yeah. I have a question related to that because... Peloton is obviously a company that is often in the public eye. It exploded in the pandemic. It's mentioned in ads. It's mentioned in shows. What has it been like building a personal brand under the banner of this larger company that tends to garner so much attention? So while I think it is important to acknowledge the bigger picture of things, I also think it's important to really hone in on the details of what matters. And for me, at the end of the day, I'm here to serve this community. And so that's always a helpful sort of anchor for me. As in when I'm building a brand, it's about where I want to go and the community that I want to build, whether that's the larger world on social media or the Peloton community. So that's like a really helpful guiding place to be. And within that, I think there is a space to take into context what's happening on a larger scale and how that could be affecting the communities, how that could be affecting me and how I may or may not want to respond to that. Yeah. You mentioned like in this sort of context, it is a little bit more about you. How does that come into play with the classes you're creating and how you're thinking about that from a bigger picture lens? I think more than anything, it's just like an allowance of being myself. I'm not like this, but there are certainly people who are the loudest person in the room and like, hey, look at me. And I've never been that way. So for me, it's been this journey of really being more and more myself on camera, which is kind of goofy and, um, and having fun with people in real life. When I practice, yeah, I'm practicing. I'm serious enough to show up and practice, but also if I fall over, I'm probably going to laugh at it, you know, and sort of being able to do more and more of that. Well, that's more, I guess, in class, I would say outside of class, it's being willing to share more outside of class, right? Being able to share my being a human outside of being a teacher. And that is something I've also been working on. It's a work in progress. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When we come back, more from Aditi on South Asian representation in fitness and her one-of-a-kind adventure. But first, a message from Azar PR. For brand builders, PR is power. Public relations and digital marketing agency Azar PR is here to help you harness that power and channel it into growth for your business. With a specific focus on female and minority-founded brands, agency lead Amber Sabri is your go-to if you're looking to up your public relations, media, or digital marketing game. Get in touch with them at azarpr.com and let them know Trailblazer sent you for a special offer. Now, back to our episode. I'm curious, obviously, like I said, Peloton became super popular in the pandemic, and we just saw a greater emphasis on health and wellness in the pandemic as people were just at home and realizing that this was something that they wanted to refocus their energy on. In what ways did you see the interest in health and yoga evolve over this two-year 
very weird period. I would say more than yoga, I think there is a meditation shift. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, in a place of maybe some desperation or some sort of distress came to meditation in hopes that it might might make them feel better. And then over time, maybe found that it was helpful, right? It yeah. was helpful with going to bed at night or shifting your mood or whatever. And I'm not saying that meditation is, a, is something that fixes everything, but it has certainly been a helpful tool to me. And I think a lot of people found, oh my gosh, this is a really helpful tool during the pandemic when they were really needing it. Yeah. And I think for me personally, I hope that this isn't a moment in time, but is a learning that sticks with everybody because I think the best time to fix the roof is when it's not raining <laughs> and, yeah. and practices something like that, that sticks with you if you are consistent with it. So having a meditation practice, like a strong meditation practice going into something like a pandemic is obviously going to be perhaps something you can lean on a little bit more. Not that you can't lean on it if you're newer, but I really hope that people stick with it. I hope that the, it's such a, the amount of bang for your buck you're getting with like a 10 minute practice is crazy. And so I hope that people just keep doing it. Well, you're selling me pretty hard right now. So <laughs> it's hard though. I mean, I, I've noticed that as work culture has shifted once again, I'm back in the office, I'm running around a little bit more, more things are happening. I spend less time on this stuff than I did during the pandemic, despite knowing sure. the positive impacts it had on my mental health and physical health. You know, I'm curious, a huge topic that people talk about within the South Asian community is often cultural appropriation and the whitewashing of yoga. The fact that it obviously is derived from South Asian culture, but without due credit to its roots. How have you navigated that? And do you feel like as a South Asian being in this space, you've sort of been able to reclaim this practice? It's such an interesting conversation because when I talk, there are people South Asians who I talk to who are absolutely up in arms about Western modern yoga practices. And then there are South Asians who I talk to who go to like yoga sculpt classes and have yep. no concept of yoga beyond fitness. So there's this range, I think, even within our own culture of what yoga means. Absolutely. For me, I am interested in a few things. I think the easiest way to think about it is not doing anything that would make my parents cringe. Do you know what I mean? Like I want to yeah. teach yoga in a way that would make my parents proud. That to me is like a great check. And I'm not yeah. super worried to be honest, but I think it's a great place if I'm ever, I'm not sure about this. Let me think about it in this way. But the other things that I'm interested in are really democratizing the practice and making it accessible to people. Therefore, I think there's a few things that I've done and that I continue to do to help bridge this gap. I don't think that and this is my opinion, and I hope that I'm wrong. You know, I'm totally open to being wrong here. I think that yoga is evolving. I don't think it's possible to stop this in its tracks and say, we're going back to being super traditional. I don't think that's going to happen. So for me, what I'm looking for is how can I work with what's happening and find solutions to make sure we still talk about philosophy, to make sure we still understand that yoga isn't fitness, to make sure that there are places where people who maybe don't have access or even know where to go learn about it can still learn about it. So for me, I make sure that when we have a beginner program, we have a lecture portion that talks about philosophy. If wow. people don't have access to whatever, like I have a whole thing on my social media that's like talking to a professor, a philosophy professor. So like, I want to make it accessible to people. I don't think that I can force anybody to do or learn or think about things in any of particular course. way. 
But I do feel like I'm excited to be in a position where, hey, I can talk about this. And there are more people that are going to take this 10 minute lecture. There's more people that are going to learn about this that are going to be like, oh, maybe I could think about this in a different way. So that's kind of where I am is like trying to be bridging a gap in a way that feels like I'm doing it with integrity. I will also say it would be awesome to just have more South Asians because the other part of this is I am one person with one point of view. And I think we should have other people with different points of view sharing their point of view too. Yeah. Well, you just preempted my next question because I was going to ask you, I mean, what are your thoughts on representation of South Asians in the fitness landscape? So one of the things I really had to wrap my head around was coming from yoga. I was like, so adamantly like, this is yoga. It's not fitness. This is yoga. It's not fitness. And then I came to Peloton. I was like, well, Peloton is fitness. (laughs) Peloton is fitness. It's wellness and it's fitness. And so I sort of had to sort of marinate on that a little bit. I feel so grateful to be in a position where I can say, hi, it's Aditi, welcome to Peloton Yoga, because I think there are a lot of, I knew for myself, like I wish I had a Shobha Narayan growing up, you know, I wish I had like Mindy Kaling. I didn't have any of that. And I, I grew up with two other Indian kids in my town. And so I'm really, really happy to be on a platform in a way that hopefully lets other people know. And I'm so happy that the world is evolving. Right now, and this might not be the most politically correct thing to say, but I feel like as a brown person, I feel like my stock is rising and I'm really happy about it. (laughs) I'm like, I'm really happy that there are other people who can see Jasmine on Broadway and see me on Peloton and like think, oh, I could maybe not do finance and do something else. Like I can be in a Mindy Kaling show or on Bridgerton or whatever it is. Like it's, it's awesome. That's why you're on this podcast today. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> no, that that makes a ton of sense and is super interesting. And I appreciate your point around even within the community, there's so many differing views on like what it means to practice yoga, how we bring that into Western culture, et cetera. And that sure. obviously the entire burden of that responsibility should not fall on you. <laughs> And hopefully we will see more South Asians in this space going forward. There are incredible South Asians in this space. I don't feel like it's 100% on me. We have incredible, look, there's also a range of viewpoints, but we do have other people who hopefully I can elevate their voices louder, but who have really smart viewpoints who are also able to bridge that gap of, hey, there are some things that, yes, evolution and some things that are just never going to be appropriate, like putting an ohm symbol on a flip-flop or whatever. Like there's some things that even if you're an Indian person that believes, you know, yoga is for fitness, you still never do that. They're not always yogis, but they're doing a great job of sharing this information as well. Absolutely. I also think this goes to the bigger realization that what you've done in your career thus far, fitness, acting, modeling are three fields that aren't the type of fields that our parents tend to encourage or that a lot of South Asians tend to pursue So I want to take a step back with respect to that and say, looking back on your career, is there anything you would have done differently given this wasn't the career you'd initially imagined for yourself? I am really grateful for everything that, like my whole journey, because I think it got me here. If anything, I wish I had had the courage and moxie to start a little earlier. You know, I wish that I had just... Because I did, when I was younger, I really tried to convince my parents to let me do a lot of things. And there were a lot of no's. And I was a good kid. And I was like, you know what? They're right. And looking back, I wish that I had maybe pushed back a little harder. But I also think it's okay that I didn't. Because again, who knows? 
who knows what my life would have looked like. It's really hard to know. Yeah. I think because of that, sometimes I think of myself as a, as a late bloomer, but at the same time, I feel very much that sometimes you have to like go through things to get to where, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I had yep. to have that experience of being like, I'm not going to do this to make a change as opposed to if I had pushed back earlier, maybe I never would have felt that way. Maybe I would have ended up with a career in finance. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I definitely believe the dots always connect backward, right? Yeah. Now looking ahead, you've obviously accomplished so much in your time at Peloton and previously, and most recently you were named Puma's latest global ambassador. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement in the brand and what that will entail? Some of that is TBD, <laughs> so <laughs> I'll keep you posted, but I am really excited about it. I think I will be a part of various different campaigns. So there are a few things that Puma is really passionate about, and one of them is certainly they are interested in social change, and I think that's a part of why they wanted to work with me. I think that what I love is when I visited their headquarters, they're also interested in making sure that they're doing things in a way that also feels good and not appropriative. And it's just so important and exciting to be a part of that conversation, right? Or even like a, hey, is there anything here that makes you feel like it's inappropriate? I don't know how many brands are doing that, but I think that's really, really awesome. But I think, you know, there's a platform that they have that's specific to women in fitness and sort of elevating and and encouraging women in the fitness industry or younger women into the fitness industry. And so I'll be a part of those campaigns as well as other things. They're aware of my interest in elevating South Asian voices and that experience, which I think is going to be a focus of my work with them as well. Well, I'll just say huge congratulations again. It's really exciting being, you know, a young South Asian myself and seeing someone like you be an ambassador for this sort of brand to what you were talking about earlier with like the Mindy Kalings, the Bridgertons of the world. Yeah, our stock is rising, and it's really exciting to see someone like you be the face of a brand like Puma. Thank you. I wanted to ask you about something that I just found so fascinating. You know, you clearly have this passion for purpose, for adventure, and you actually climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Can you share a little bit about (laughs) that experience? I don't know how you know about that. Um, I don't know. It was a while ago. I am a pretty adventurous person. I think I mentioned as a kid I was so outdoors, and yeah. I actually spent my entire childhood up until college, post-college, we only went on hiking vacations. I think my family didn't love the beach. So we went on, we did obviously sightsee sometimes, but we did, we always hiked all over the U.S. In fact, my older brother had like an accident, fell off of a mountain and we still went hiking after that. Like, Oh my gosh. Everybody is is a crazy hiker. And so I think my two brothers and I hiked it together with a company, which you have to do. And we took an interesting route. It was a longer route. And one of the areas, I think it's not so popular because one of the areas you have to wake up really early because once the sun comes out, the snow melts and there's a possibility of avalanche. So you have to leave early. Oh my gosh. And then you sort of camp out right next to the peak or right below the peak, which is probably the coolest thing I've ever done in my life because you're camping out next to like a glacier and then you go to the peak the next day and then you go down. It was beautiful and incredible and I would a thousand percent do it again. I've actually been thinking about like whether there's another mountain I could climb or something. I watched 14 peaks, which I would never do anything. I would never be doing high altitude climbing. (laughs) It just seems not for me, but I think it'd be fun to do another cool trip like that with maybe my brothers. I don't know. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, speaking to that, you know, in terms of next adventures, both personally and career-wise, what's next for you? This year is the year of 
every friend of mine getting married. So that's <laughs> going to be most of my adventures this year. Um, I'm hoping to go to Costa Rica at the end of the year. I want to go on a surf trip. I'm like a baby surfer, but I think it's really fun. Career-wise, I have some ideas, but nothing fully fleshed out yet. When I have fleshed things out, I will share more. Okay. Well, I'm excited to hear it. The last question I have for you today is, you know, for someone who's potentially new to hearing your story, new to one of your sessions, what would your biggest takeaway for them be? I thought a lot about what I wanted people to take away from my class. But when I think about it, it's really what I want people to take away from interactions with me. What I really want people to get in general from my class or my meditation or this podcast is 5% more freedom. Whatever that means to you, it could be being yourself, it could be whatever it is, like just a little bit more space to be and take up space in your own life. That's really what I, I sort of was like a wish for the world. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. Like I said, it's really, really exciting to see someone who's charted the unique path that you have. And I have no doubt it's going to inspire many, many others. So thanks for taking the time. That's very kind. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you want to get new episodes straight to your inbox, subscribe to our newsletter at SouthAsianTrailBlazers.com and follow us at South Asian Trailblazers on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.